This is Conquering Columbus. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 284 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, and today on the show, we are talking with Mark Fleming Jr., former founder and president of Signature Closers, LLC. Mark started Signature Closers as his own private notary business and ended up growing it to become one of the largest notary services in Ohio. Mark eventually made a successful exit, and during the show, we talked with him about that and more Early on, we talk about what drew Mark to start his own business. You know, I remember being like second grade, did like math counts and was really into it. You may be geekily into it. That sort of, I think, translated to me or translated for me into, I think, an interest in all things kind of innovative, creative, entrepreneurial. So I remember we had a sucker sale uh, in grade school and it was like, oh, the blueberry suckers are in high demand. And, you know, there was trading involved. There were pogs, you know, just things like that were constantly on my mind. So I think there was definitely an entrepreneurial spirit and creative thinking from the beginning. Later, we talk about what it's like to make the leap into entrepreneurship and leave behind a successful job when you have a family to support. I became full-time with the company in March of 2012. I think that's when I first collected you know, a paycheck at W-2. It was a paycheck that was less, uh, significantly less than I'd been making in benefits and definitely less than even in the software sales. So that was you know, a little bit of a scary time with young kids, a family, trying to figure out what that might look like. We wrap up talking about how notaries are changing and how the digital revolution is finally starting to upend the traditional model for notaries. You went into an office, you had mentioned, mm-hmm. and somebody sat down with you and, and performed a signing, and that's great, and that'll that'll probably be around for a long time. But there's also, I think, a big push for digitizing. And we closings. got to digitally sign some of our documents, which made closing, well, it only took us like 20 minutes. Like there you it was, go. It was super smooth. Yeah, that's that's kind of where we're working um, working towards in our industry. And I think, you know, with this other company, the money they raised is really geared towards solving some of those problems and providing a better path. And there's a lot of companies in our space, I mean, ourselves included, you know, under Stuart's umbrella now that, you know, that's a big initiative. As usual, we hope you enjoy this episode. Now, uh, let's get right into the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am your co-host, Mike. We got a full cast here today. Tim, Josh, what's going on? Man, Columbus is losing their mind obviously about vaccination stuff mm-hmm. and I am I had to turn my notifications off on my phone yeah it's kind of wild so I don't want to talk about that too much but there is a like Ohio State just made it mandatory uh-huh. and so I shared that and now people are like and freaking out and I'm like that's it's just information dude right they're mad at you yeah I mean I will say I'm ready for us to do whatever it takes for this to be over I don't mm-hmm. want to like I don't know about you guys but like our office is kind of regressing back into like mandatory masks work from home and I can see us going back into solitary confinement again. And so that is like lingering in the back of my head. We have mm-hmm. this massive trade show coming up. And I'm, so that, that's been dictating my entire existence lately. It's just like, please, dear, whatever, don't, don't let this happen again. I cannot go sit at my house. Yeah. But other than that, you know, things are pretty good. Well, there you go. There you it, go. Is, it is super interesting though. Like even like the stock market right now, you can see is making a transition into going back to or like growth stocks. And it seems like there's like this movement across the whole world where everybody's kind of like, ah, I think maybe we moved a little too fast and like things are regressing a little bit. So yeah, it's kind of like a, like a, with, especially with the stock market and stuff, like it's, it's been kind of a tale of two cities type situation where, you know, the stock market's been going up and then also we've been seeing trends with Delta variant, things like that. The stock market's kind of been ignoring that. And I think you're starting to see people go, this might be a bigger deal than we thought it was going to be. And things are starting to pull back a little bit. My but. portfolio has for sure, for a while, up until today, my portfolio was just kind of steadily dropping. <laughs> and I was like, man, the stock market is such a good way to just like slowly lose a little bit of money every day. There you go. There so you that's, go. I'm glad, I hopefully that turns around. But yeah. 
Well, that's the thing. You can't look at it every day. But we're we're not here to do an economic podcast. Bitcoin is the fastest way to turn a lot of money into a little money. Yeah. It's, of, it's been one of my historically favorite ways to do that. And this is just it, buy it when it become, hits fifty, and then sell it when it hits thirty, and then repeat. This has become an economic analysis podcast now. So it's we're entertaining, though. I think this is probably the most topical thing of what everyone's dealing with right now. That's probably true. That's probably true. But uh, we do have a guest today, so why don't we introduce him today on the show? We've got uh, Mark Fleming Jr. joining us, and Mark was the founder and president of Signature Clothes. LLC, a notary closing partner for many local, regional, and national title companies. And what started as a single signing agent providing notary signing services to Central and Southwest Ohio grew to provide services throughout the entire state of Ohio and the nation. And Signature Closers LLC was recognized on the Inc. 500 slash 5000 list multiple times, I think seven out of eight times, right, Mark? Yep, that's correct. Really fast growing company. We're excited to talk to Mark about uh, his journey. He actually also recently made a successful exit from the company. So we'll be talking with him a little bit about that and uh, the story of Signature Closers. So welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Are you still a notary? Uh, you know what's uh, interesting? Actually, no, I am <sighs> not. As of May, I forget the date, but May so of you this just year. Completely, you're like, Damn well, it. I, I let it lapse and I found I wasn't really using it except when, you know, friends and family were in a pinch. And I so. need to sell a motorcycle and <laughs> he was about uh, to, I was hoping this was would be, <laughs> yeah. What? It, so actually this is perfect. I was talking with a real estate friend. How difficult is it to become a notary? We were, we were not getting much detail on that. I think that's something nobody knows. Like just people are or are not. Yeah. yeah. How difficult is that process? I would say to become a notary, it varies by state and there's a lot of, you know, regulations in different places. In Ohio, it's, it's really not too difficult. I mean, there is an exam, so you kind of have to learn what you can notarize, what you can't notarize. You go through kind of a basic background check, but that's really it. I mean, once you've gone through that process, you can become a notary. And where our business kind of differentiates between kind of your typical notary and what we do, we consider them signing agents, which is more... I would say education driven and more guidance at the real estate closing table. So anybody can be a notary to some mm -hmm. extent. There's just an additional process, I guess, to educate someone to get them to the point where they can actually close loans. So to answer your questions, yeah, it's not, I wouldn't say it's too, too difficult. If you are a notary mm -hmm. and you wanted to sell a motorcycle or a bike or a car, can like you something, your own thing? you can't notarize your own thing. You cannot. No. Yeah, so that, that would seem. You're there to, to really verify and, and, you know, verify the identity of the other person. And so. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, yeah, you cannot mm -hmm. uh, notarize your own thing. You also make can't sense. notarize for family members. Like if you have a vested interest in the transaction, yeah. uh, you're out. So nice. It's actually interesting because I just went through this process literally on Monday. Um, and so when you're doing like the, the closing of the loan, right, the notary's there and mm -hmm. she was kind of going through every piece of document, but she wasn't just like, hey, you signed this good stamp. Mm -hmm. It was, hey, here's what this document is and what it does. Like, do you need a little educational? Yeah. So like I, that's kind of what you're talking about, right? It is. Yeah. And I'd be curious to see. I'll have to look through our database, see if, you know, we we're involved in that. We do quite a bit of work, so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, mm -hmm. our company was playing a part Could've of been. it. Yeah, Could've maybe. Been. Uh, but so, OK, we're we're already off track. Let's take a step back and talk about like, mm -hmm. you know, background on yourself, a little bit of history. Uh, you listen to the show, so you kind of know what we're talking about here, but uh, uh, maybe as far back as, you know, hey, have you always lived in Columbus? So, you know, first off, I would say you guys have had some incredible guests. I've gotten a chance to to get to know the podcast over the last couple of months. And, uh, you know, so hopefully what I'm sharing adds value because, you know, some of these podcasts are just absolutely incredible, great information. Um, and before I dive into my story, I think if you're a listener that's been around the block with you guys, we have to mention that you're from San Diego, I think, Mike. So we need to kind of get that <laughs> yes. out of the way, right? It's news to me. Uh, Is it? what, uh, when did you, did you move to Ohio? We got to stop having people on the show who listen to this. <laughs> 
We're done. That no was more, my favorite part. We if don't they've need to listened to the anymore. podcast before, we're cutting them off. <laughs> Am I stealing your thunder? Sorry, Mike. No, yeah, okay. <laughs> Thanks, so, Mike. Yeah, no worries. Um, you know, so my background, I mean, really, I grew up here in Columbus. Um, you know, we kind of joke my family has made their way south through the years. So I was born in Delaware. We lived in Powell at a time when I tell people, for those that were around, there was a Meyer, there was a McDonald's, and there was a Kohl's. Nothing else. So if you drive by, you know, Powell Road, 750, 23 these days, I don't think there's um, a restaurant or a store that you can't find there. So definitely a different time. Uh, spent some time in Worthington and really, you know, kind of went through the Catholic school system. So I was at St. Michael, uh, then St. Charles, and then made my way to Miami. So I've really been in central Ohio almost all my life, aside from, you know, the time at, at Miami. And what do you study in undergrad? I was actually finance major. So as you guys were talking about all this econ stuff, I'm like, ah, I took some econ classes. I, I can hang in this conversation a little bit. So you finish up and then what path do you go from there? Like, did you always know that you want to do something entrepreneurial? Well, I think when I was younger, I recognized that I liked numbers. I liked learning about money. You know, I remember being like second grade, did like math counts and was really into it. You may be geekily into it. And that sort of, I think, translated to me or translated for me into, I think, an interest in all things kind of uh, innovative, creative, entrepreneurial. So I remember we had a sucker sale uh, in grade school and it was like, oh, the blueberry suckers are in high demand. And, you know, there was trading involved. There were pogs, you know, just things like that were constantly on my mind. So I think there was definitely an entrepreneurial spirit and creative thinking from the beginning. I'd be lying if I said I thought I'd end up at the business I ended up in. Mm -hmm. So when you get out of college, you go take a job or did you immediately go get your notary's license and start doing so, whole thing. <laughs> so when I was in school at Miami before I took the first job, getting my finance degree, the reason I picked finance is I really enjoyed real estate classes and law classes that I had taken. And they just so happened to <laughs> allow you to do that and get a finance degree. So it wasn't like I really had some master plan uh, behind that logic. And it really, it worked out, but it was actually uh, the summer going into my senior year at Miami. And I started to look into summer internships, Northwestern Mutual, you know, Ameriprise, some of these just kind of uh, financial firms that you kind of do some internships with. And I had a family member that said, you know, you got to think about becoming a notary, you know, I have a little history in real estate. I understand the business and, you know, you could work with a title company and kind of really learn some things. Maybe you're going to make more money than you're going to make at your unpaid internships that was appealing, you know, as a college kid for sure. And so I went and I explored that path. I uh, got my notary, as you mentioned, it's not, not too hard. I made it. So I uh, became a notary and then really went down. There was a company called Resource Title in Cincinnati that I spent probably three or four days with, you know, somebody that had been in the industry for a long time that taught me basically the documents, you know, and then I had a study package and things that I had to learn. But from there, really, you know, it took off as kind of the side business when summer I was in central Ohio and then I was back in Oxford, Butler County. And you know, one of the first closings I did, I remember it was out, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night in Butler County, you know, some farmhouse with someone and, uh, you know, it was the closings no one else wanted to do. And so you kind of had to cut your teeth that way, mm -hmm. earn business that way. So it was definitely a hustle. And of course I messed up that first closing because why, why wouldn't I? So I had to go back out and get it corrected, but kind of just fell into that path, I guess, as far as becoming a notary and, um, and going down that road. What do you get paid to go do that closing, that, that first closing? You know, it varies. I would say, so what drives our business, 
for notaries in particular is really kind of what type of transaction it is. So in that case, I, I thinking back, I think it was a refinance. I think it was a VA loan. So the way that we describe it when we're training people or, or onboarding new notaries to become signing agents would be, if you think about a cash transaction, so if I buy a house and it's just cash, there's not gonna be a whole lot of documents because there's no lender involved. So maybe 20 pages. And so you might make 70 or $75 for that transaction. Mm-hmm. Same with the seller transaction. You know, If you're on the seller side of the deal, there's not a ton of documents. Again, there's no lender. You know, insert the lender, you have a refinance, you have a purchase where, you know, most most people are, they buy a house, they get a loan, then you add the lender's paperwork. In my case, then you add, you know, the Veterans Administration, the VA loans, there's FHA, there's all these different types of loans. Well, that just mm-hmm. adds <laughs> to the complication, it adds to the paperwork. So the price that you make, you know, for a refi might be $100, you know, in that range, just sort of varies based on those requirements, based on if they need those documents scanned back after the signing before you ship them back. Um, so your typical process would be you close the loan, you know, you sign everything, we're sitting here at the, the closing table, and um, I package it up, send it back through FedEx, UPS, what have you. Uh, but maybe because they want to fund that same day, it's a purchase, you have to scan stuff in. Well, it's, it's all about your time and, you know, the number of pages and things like that. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. It sounds like, you know, hey, this started as a side job, a little bit of cash while I'm in college. When do you start thinking, you know what, like this, we could grow, I could grow this, I could maybe do this full time or, you know, are you, do you start thinking immediately, hey, you know what, maybe I could get some people underneath me to do this as a business. Like, how does that progress and how does that grow? So I think kind of circling back to the original question of, you know, what did I do when I graduated, right? So I went to work for Cardinal Health out of school. I was in their uh, finance development program, kind of a rotational program. You know, and I I think for me, I realized pretty early in my career that, um, well, two things. I think, you know, for one, I was probably young and stupid. And so, you know, within seven to eight months, I was on to something else, Um, you know, not being patient and, you know, thinking I wanted to change the world, right? But I also kind of recognized, I think, that for me, being in a small business, being entrepreneurial was important. So went to work for Cardinal. And, you know, again, the same family member had said, you know, you ought to think about, you built these relationships, right? And the key problem that our business solved initially was that people were being paid two, $300, let's say, to drive from Columbus to Cleveland to close a loan because they needed a mobile notary. And we were able to solve that by providing a notary in Cleveland, could print the documents, Sounds crazy, but you know, that didn't really exist too much at that point. And so, you know, as we started to kind of look at that business and when I went to work for Cardinal, there's all these relationships. And so I started to think, was there a way that I could maybe maintain the relationship, find a notary that's here in central Ohio that could take on the closings I'm doing and, you know, pay them for those closings, but also give them first dibs in terms of like farming them out to other notaries, I guess, or subbing them out. And so I'd connected with another notary that had sort of a small panel of people around Ohio. I don't know, maybe 15 to 20 people that we started with. And that's really how, you know, I think the beginning of really looking at it from a business perspective was born was seeing these 15 to 20 people and realizing, okay, so I can make the spread basically between, let's say we charge our client $125. Mm-hmm. I have this person that's scheduling that I give five or $10. And at that point it was based on, is it a cash deal? Is it a lender deal? Is there a bank involved? You know, whatever our, 
our price would be and then what we paid the notary, I would make the difference. Yeah. So um, at that point, it was definitely very much a side business for me and, and stayed that way for quite a while. And so what's the advantage, I guess, because I'm curious now, what's the advantage for the actual notaries at the bottom end of this? Like they are getting more jobs because of this, like because it's all calling through you, like people who know, okay, I'm going to call here and you're getting more demand for your services or, you know, or I just don't have to too worry about scheduling it. Yeah, I think there's a few benefits uh, and, you know, we can dive in probably to the the business to a greater degree on what's changed and what's evolved. But Mm -hmm. I think it really boils down to notaries have opportunities they might not otherwise have. So we become sort of an aggregator and marketer, marketing firm or marketer for them, basically, where we find opportunities they may not have. So companies, you know, we go and we get the business. They're not having to go to that company and solicit the business, basically. So there's a value there. I think in our case now where our company is, there's certainty. Um, you know, some of the notaries will go to a local company, find a relationship. And if that company, uh, you know, the market's cyclical, it falls, that business goes away. Versus mm-hmm. a company like us, if we have hundreds of clients, you know, we're able to, to offer business probably in most times, you know, mm-hmm. good and bad. So you're a booking agent essentially for notaries. Yeah, that and, and we developed over time some technology that allowed title companies to do what we do. So we but as far as the the notary at the end of it, you're you're essentially like their agent, yep. and they they pay, they pay a fee. Yeah, that that's a beautiful sense. thing in business. A lot of people, as they get into one skill, you know, they don't want to deal with the other stuff. That's why in the music industry, you know, like every band has has a manager, a booking agent, because they're just like whatever. I want to play the songs, mm-hmm. take fifteen percent, and just give me shows. No, it makes sense. Then when do you start thinking about actually, you know, diving in full time to this and and saying, hey, you know what, this could actually be a little more than what I'm doing with it now. So there was a point in time where, and, you know, I kind of thinking of it, think of it jokingly a little bit, um, you know, I call it BC and AD. So before Chris and then after development is kind of how I describe this. And before, you know, Chris, Chris Chapman uh, was our technical co-founder, our CTO, my business partner. Before he came into the business, a lot of what we were doing was pretty manual. So kind of taking you through the progression, like when it started, you know, it was, it was me. And then, you know, I'd found this person to sort of sub the deals out. Uh, learned a hard lesson, no non-compete. And this person, suddenly I'm like, wow, I had a great relationship with resource title. They were sending a lot of business. I'm not getting anything. What's going on? So I reach out and, oh, well, lo and behold, you know, this person had started to go direct and kind of cut me out of the deal, which wasn't great. And, you know, learned a lot from that. And so really a key moment, you know, like I said, BC before Chris, my mother-in-law, Jenny Kay, has actually got involved in the business and really sustained it at a time when I think it could have gone either way. I was at a point where I'm like, eh, couple of young kids, you know, it's a lot of late nights. I'm taking basically something from a Google calendar and throwing it into QuickBooks, trying to pay these people, trying to keep an eye on the schedule um, and, and really not making a significant amount of money. So it really wasn't something that maybe was worth the time at that point. And so she really kind of sustained the business, was working, you know, during the day. And, you know, again, still kind of part-time at that point. Well, around, I want to say it was 2011, I went to work, um, you know, I kind of skip around in my career here. So I so was at Cardinal, worked with uh, some employee benefit consultants in, in that space for a while, went to work for a software company based in Cincinnati. And that was around the time that I met Chris. So Chris had heard about this side business, grabbed me and was like, hey, we, you know, let's talk, let's go to lunch. You know, I heard about this. Let's, uh, let's just learn what you're, what you're doing. And Chris had a background in business process improvements. You know, he's mm-hmm. a developer, among other things, Spartan Racer, um, really interesting guy. But he was like, let's just talk about this. So, you know, we are like the prototypical story or, you know, the, the story here where we literally went to BW3s, <laughs> writing stuff down on a napkin, like, hey, you know, what, what do you really need to solve? And I'm like, well, I need a calendar, need to be able to pay people a little bit easier, need to be able to bill our clients without having to spend hours and hours on this. And 
So at that point, um, you know, he said, well, I, I think I can help you out. Let's build a website. We kind of laugh about that now because we're like, yeah, that was, that was our goal. Let's build a website, right? So he did. And, you know, our arrangement was that as the business grew, you know, he would kind of grow into the business. And that was really, I think, the first thought of, okay, you know, there, there's something that maybe, you know, we can do to make this business stick around. I don't think either of us really thought at that point that it would be a full-time business. I think we were still just thinking, okay, this is a side business. We're going to make it grow a little bit and we're going to be involved to the extent that we're involved today, but it'll be easier to be involved. And so it wasn't until kind of a later point that we made that that determination. And it was really because a client reached out to us and said, hey, we heard really good things about you and mm-hmm. we're going to send you 900 deals a month. Oh my gosh, we're doing 100 deals a month. That's nine times what we're looking at. And, and to be honest, I'd had those conversations before and they hadn't panned out. You know, you guys are in sales and you understand that, you know, sometimes you uh, go down a path and you're like, oh yeah, I got this opportunity and then it just doesn't work out. And so, you know, I heard that and thought, ah, okay, sure. We'll see what happens. Lo and behold, you know, this is probably November, December of 2011 and this client delivers, right? So, you know, we have this system now. Chris has started to build kind of the framework and I am a one-man show for the most part at that point. Um, after hours, you know, we still had uh, Jenny involved and at that point, you know, it was really just kind of the two of us. And so I am scheduling closings, picking mm-hmm. up the phone to call notaries. I am making sure they have their documents, receiving emails, uploading, downloading, et cetera. Um, and I thought, holy cow, this is turning into <laughs> a legitimate business at this point. So that was kind of the transition point. At that turning point, you know, you're kind of going through and you, you realize, okay, this is now going to be a legitimate business. It's, it's still a bit of a leap, right? So when you go from working, right, you're working at this software company to not working, and relying fully on this business to feed your family, feed like all those things. Like that's a pretty big leap. What was going through your mind? And, and did you immediately start thinking, okay, let's start hiring some people? Like how, how did you go about that? Yeah, it was, I think definitely a leap. Um, you know, I remember, so I, I became full-time with the company in March of 2012. I think that's when I first collected, you know, a paycheck, a W-2. It was a paycheck that was less, uh, significantly less than I'd been making in benefits and definitely less than even in the software sales. So that was, you know, a little bit of a scary time with young kids, a family, trying to figure out what that might look like. Initially, you know, I really was kind of running everything. And the initial, I guess, response to some of this incoming business was, I cannot be up at midnight on Christmas Eve, you know, entering orders. Like this is just not, you know, feasible. And it really was around the holidays, November, December, when this really hit and it was very busy. And so it was kind of working with Chris to look at the technology and think about, okay, what can we do to be more efficient first? You know, we knew we needed to add maybe some employees, but we also recognized that I think to scale the business, it had to be process-based. And that was really Chris's forte. And so we were fortunate because the client that came to us was on a platform called Resware. And Resware is, um, it's really the, I would say for, for the highest volume title companies that we see in our space, I would say the, the vast majority are on this platform. And at that time, you know, Chris had some experience from previous roles. There was a company, it was Ascendum KPS down in Cincinnati that had a relationship with this company, Adeptive, that owned Resware. So Chris had some exposure, had been to India, had seen some of the, the things that they were doing. And so we kind of debated, there was another platform we had looked at to integrate with, but we ended up integrating with Resware. And so immediately that was a huge lift because I was not entering orders. You know, it was something where we could go to clients and say, Hey, there's not a, like we're the first company in the country to do that in our space. And Mm -hmm. so 
I would say, you know, even from a milestone and achievement for us, that was, that was a huge one because not only did it allow, you know, me <laughs> to be able to breathe a little bit, but also like we could then market to customers and say, oh, you don't have to rekey this data like you're doing today. You don't have to basically send documents through unsecure email to, you know, to a Gmail account. Like that's, that's kind of a big problem. That's what was happening in our industry at the time. Maybe still happens with some companies. I don't know, but you know, in our world, that was a big deal. And so that was the initial phase to kind of make the jump and then, you know, kind of scale the business. Our first full-time employee that, you know, wasn't me, that was actually W2 would have been August, 2012. So we kind of gradually grew from there as well in terms of hiring and, and whatnot. Hey everybody, Mike here, and we're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, SmartHouse. SmartHouse helps keep your home safe, and their team offers white glove custom home automation and security solutions. They can install things like security cameras, alarm systems, video doorbells, smart locks, thermostats, and smart garage doors, all of which can be controlled from a single app. They even do things like whole house home audio and theater systems, and Josh has used Smart House himself, so we definitely recommend you check them out. You can save 50% or more on no-contract professional alarm monitoring, and to top it all off, they're a local business. So if you want to learn more about them, check out smarthouseohio.com. That's smarthouseohio.com, and let them know Conquer and Columbus sent you. All right, let's get back to the show. How do things keep unfolding as you're moving forward? Like, do you start focusing more on the software that you developed or you continue to push forward the original business model? So we, <laughs> it's kind of funny you ask that. So we have a base camp that Chris and I had worked on, um, kind of a project management tool for those that don't know. And we have a note from sometime in 2012. So we just built this technology, built the integration. I said, you know, I wonder if a title company would ever think about utilizing what we've built and kind of schedule their own notaries at a lower fee. Would they want to own this? Would they want to be more involved? And, you know, we didn't really take the leap at that point. We didn't know what the market was. Sure enough, you know, 2018, 2019, we fast forward, we have this platform we've built out called Sync that does just that. So we were, <laughs> we were there, but we didn't quite make the leap at that point. So really our focus, I think initially was how do we scale in a way that, you know, our employees that we bring on can jump right in and kind of add to the process. And for me, that was really difficult because I think delegating anything, I mean, I was doing it all. And so being comfortable enough and trusting enough really to hand off that, you know, any piece of the process was, was really, really hard in the beginning. But I also recognized, you know, from my prior role, um, I mentioned benefits. So I was with a company called Accelerated Benefits, which uh, was acquired by USI. And so their owner, Tom Wagner, uh, definitely, you know, mentor to me in the business space introduced me to a book called E-Myth or E-Myth Revisited. And it's really all about working on the business and not in the business. And so I recognized as difficult as it was to kind of let the reins go that we needed to find good people so that I could be spending my time, you know, growing the business basically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from there we kind of evolved and, you know, we kept building out this technology over the years, but we also found, and we were really fortunate to find, you know, such good people that could jump in, could learn our business. It's a unique business. I mean, you guys, I'm sure most of the audience is like, what does this guy do? I've never heard of this. <laughs> so for us, it was definitely a learning curve, you know, in terms of hiring people and also being willing to say, okay, I got to take a step back like this, you know, I, I, <laughs> I got to trust, you know, and trust and let it happen. Mm -hmm. And so sounds like we've had a couple turning points so far throughout this story. But what I'm curious about is as you grew the company, was it, you know, did you start getting a lot of people calling in saying, hey, have we heard about you? Or was it more of a sales? Was there a sales model to this? Like, how did you continue to expand and grow? Yeah, I mean, I would say from a sales perspective, I'm it for one, or at least have been historically. So um, I, you know, I had a history of kind of pounding the pavement, as we like to call it in the benefit space. So picking up the phone, making those cold calls, that was never really foreign to me. Mm -hmm. And so 
I, I would say that there was definitely a relationship through that. Uh, we had conferences in our space. So there's like the National Settlement Summit is a good example. Resware, so they, they began to have a user group conference and that was really big for us because being the first company to integrate, we also, I think, through the years have maintained a really good partnership with them and have been able to grow our integration. So, you know, you start with anything and it's, oh, we have an integration, we can take your orders, we can take your docs. Uh, then that evolves to, oh, we can post scans back. So I mentioned like those scans or faxes or whatever after the signing, we can post those back into your file, we can update the status, we can trigger actions, things like that back and forth. And so by doing that, I think that was really, you know, a huge component to our growth was having those partners because, you know, in some ways I think in any story, there's a little bit of luck involved. And for us, the fact that we integrated with Resware really was a lucky slash somewhat strategic decision because, you know, just so happened we didn't realize, but a lot of the large high volume companies started using Resware and we're moving to that, moving in that direction. And it was a lean mentality and it was kind of up, you know, our wheelhouse to say, how do we be more efficient? How do we be lean? So we were kind of uh, aligned with Resware. But I think, you know, ultimately making that choice was huge because, you know, all of a sudden these companies that are jumping on Resware are either reaching out to us or meeting them through, you know, mutual contacts and saying, hey, we want this integration. So it was a, it was a big deal for us. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, what does the company look like today? What it looks like today is pretty similar. I mean, so, you know, ultimately we sold the company um, in February of this year, you know, January 31st, February 1st, uh, to Stuart Title Company. So they're a large national title company underwriter. And I would say, I mean, by and large, you know, one of the selling points that I really liked about what Stuart brought to the table for us was the autonomous nature in which they would let us run. And so there was a concern, I think, because some of our clients our competitors to Stuart. And so, you know, there was the, well, you know, do we have to worry about that? Is there an issue with that? And ultimately I think because we're able to be autonomous, we can tell our clients, you know, no, you don't have to worry about that. You know, we're not siphoning business and we're, we're working in your best interest and, and it's the truth. And so that's been really good. Um, we now have, gosh, 33 employees. I would say the majority are in Ohio. We're all work from home. We have a presence of maybe eight or nine in Florida now. Um, and you know, we're still growing. We just posted some positions. We have a developer that we're looking to find and actually, believe it or not, I mentioned I'm the only salesperson. We have a business development uh, position available at this point. So I think we'll continue to grow through, you know, obviously new sales, new business, uh, the technology itself, the platform has really taken off. I would say, you know, that went from zero to 60 pretty quickly as far as like the percentage of our business and revenue and things like that. But the business is by and large, pretty similar to what it was back in you know, 2012, 2013 with just, you know, incremental enhancements since we've, that we have made, I guess, through the years to just, you know, really serve our clients as best as we can. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. And what about that software side of things? Now, fast forward today, are you guys seeing other teams similar to yours wanting to take a piece of that or wanting to utilize it? Yeah, we, so we do have companies, you know, there's, I kind of bucket title companies in a few different ways. You have your local title companies that, um, you know, you purchase a house, you walk into their office and, um, you know, maybe the escrow officer is closing the loan. So someone in the office is a notary and, and they close your loan and maybe they use a company like us for overflow or if somebody's out or something like that. Uh, you have your, what I would consider more centralized operations. So think of a big bank, you know, insert bank here, basically, I don't want to probably name too many banks, but you know, whatever you can think of the big banks and they use, you know, a title company, that title company might have an office in Columbus, Ohio, but then if they're closing loans in 
California, you know, Nevada, all over the country, they need a notary presence. So that's a really good fit for our model just because it's going to be high volume. And we are low margin, high volume. I mentioned earlier, you know, we might make $25 a closing, let's say. So you need to do a lot of closings with overhead and technology and all the things we invest in um, to really make any money. And so, you know, that model I think works really well for us. And then you have some of those high volume companies that say, well, shoot, we're paying you 25 bucks a closing. We really don't have a ton of visibility. I mean, you give us, you know, who the notary is, their picture, their vehicle making model. So we do provide a lot of information, but it's to them, um, you know, they want more transparency. They want more control, ownership in the process in some ways. And it's cheaper. So maybe we charge, you know, a $10 tech fee and then they negotiate the notary fee. And if they can save 15 or $20 a closing, that's a huge benefit when you're doing 10,000 signings a month, you know, that <laughs> you can do the math that adds up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have seen an appetite for that, but you know, you kind of bucket the title companies into, you know, these different buckets. And I would say that's probably the biggest user for that technology. There are other platforms that kind of do what we do. Uh, one, you know, this is why we kind of laugh about that 2012 base camp is there was a, a guy that reached out to us in like 2012, 2013 and had kind of a similar idea. And we said, oh, you know, that's a great idea, but we have all this automation. We have automated emails. We're building a mobile app. We really, you know, we don't need this, you know, platform you're, you're building, but sounds cool. And, you know, wish you luck. And uh, just recently they raised, I think they've raised over $260 million at a billion hmm. and a half dollar valuation. So he had, he had a good idea. Maybe we should have gone down that road a little sooner, but it's, <laughs> it's an all right idea, I yeah, guess. Worked out. <laughs> Combinator, yeah. His application is to be utilized for the notaries. So their technology, what's different about, you know, their technology versus ours, um, you know, initially they started off as kind of this notary platform. So it was really about driving that business and allowing people to schedule notaries they have pivoted, hence, you know, the, the great valuation and, and uh, money they brought in to be more of an e-closing platform. So a lot of our space now is really focused on the experience. So, you know, Mike, you went into an office, you had mentioned, mm-hmm. and somebody sat down with you and, and performed a signing. And that's great. And that'll, that'll probably be around for a long time. But there's also, I think, a big push for digitizing. And we closings. got to digitally sign some of our documents, which made closing, well, it only took us like 20 minutes. There, there you goes. go. It was super smooth. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're working. Um, working towards in our industry. And I think, you know, with this other company, the money they raised is really geared towards solving some of those problems and providing a better path. And there's a lot of companies in our space. I mean, ourselves included, you know, under Stuart's umbrella now that, you know, that's a big initiative for everybody is like, how do we, how do we make this process simpler? How's there more visibility? I mean, a lot of people are like, I had no idea what was going on. And, you know, I just, <laughs> they said, it's time to sign. I show up and sign here. It. Yep. The fact that that's not all digital is kind of mind blowing. Yeah, we're we're a pretty antiquated industry. I mean, it? if you think about it, so let me just, I had probably, when I when we walked in the room, my realtor was like, that's it? That's all the paper that's here? It was a stack like this big. And you guys can't see what I'm doing, but it was like probably a stack that was, you know, probably three inches high mm-hmm. of paper that we were going to have to sign and go through. And they thought that that was like really small. Like, Yeah, that's silly. Yeah, they, I, I, I can only assume that typically the stack of paper goes like up to, you know, up to your chest on the table, right? So it's mm-hmm. it seems yeah, like Yeah, that should be all digital. The other thing that I get mad about that should be digital is just mail in general. Sorry, I'm on a completely different track yeah. here, but mail sucks. Yeah, I had a uh, I had a client today that I had to pay that I had to like drive to the bank and do a wire fee. Yeah, and they just didn't understand. I was like, I've never had this. Like, just send me a link and I'll pay you via the link. Like, this is how it works. <laughs> Please use the internet. Yeah, it's and I was, there. It was super frustrating. Yeah. All right. They, sorry. Anyway, so yeah, that, that I'm just surprised that that hasn't moved towards a for everyone's sake. It would just be so much easier. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I I think. There are a lot of barriers to entry in our space. And um, when you think about the real estate transaction, you know, and this probably goes uh, you know, above and beyond, maybe a little too deep into the weeds, but you have a lot of parties involved. So when you think about, okay, so Mike, you, you buy a house, you're you know, in whatever county, let's say Franklin County, and mm-hmm. 
you ha- you have to record those documents. So you get you know the mortgage, you have different documents that are recorded. They get recorded at the recorder's office. Some counties are not capable of handling electronic documents, so that creates you know one roadblock. That's silly. That's what I'm saying. It's silly. Yeah, and, and it really is. It's 2021. If, right. <laughs> what do you have like a, a piece, like a book and they just write in it? Like yeah, get a computer. They dude. do. Yeah. There, there's an industry. for They should be not allowed to operate until they buy a computer. <laughs> <laughs> That's so silly. If you're in charge of our world, <laughs> yeah, you know things may be oh, a little easier. If Tim was in charge of this world. We got much better. <laughs> we'd Bigger be in, problems in books. We'd be, in, we'd be in great shape. <laughs> we have more trees. More trees. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's just like every, like it's 2021. You know what I mean? Like that would be like saying they don't have a cell phone. You know, mm-hmm. you, if you don't have a cell phone, you're like choosing to not have a cell phone. You know, sure. it's not like you don't have access. Mm-hmm. I mean, like in this space, you know, like if you're working, yeah. if you're, you're not like running a business and like, sorry, we only have a landline. Yeah. <laughs> the one that cracks me up is when people ask me for our business's fax number. Yep. And I'm like, guys, we're a software company. We don't have a fax machine. Mm-hmm. We just don't have one. Yep. You'd be surprised, man. In our industry, you know, we even have in our, our system, it's still called faxes to confirm. We have a view where we have a team that will oversee kind of working with the notaries to say, hey, you know, we're, we're waiting on these scans or these faxes. <laughs> and you'd be surprised how many notaries still utilize fax. It is a point of frustration, I think, for us too. Um, we're getting there. But I would love for things to be digitized as well. There's just yeah. a lot of moving parts. And I think COVID really has driven um, a bigger push, I think, from a lot of people. Like just there's different you know senators and bills and things that they're trying to push through to sort of standardize across the country. Because that's half the battle, too, is states mm. have different laws. You know, not every state has enacted um, remote online notaries. They call it a RON. So in Ohio, you actually can do a remote online signing if all the puzzle pieces fit together. And so and then, you know, if the lender has the right technology, they have to have an e-vault. Because if you think about in most cases, not all, but in a lot of cases, these lenders will then bucket your loan with a bunch of other loans and then go sell them on a secondary market to investors. So when that happens, you know they want to make sure it's a legit note. So if you're doing mm-hmm. any closing, there's a whole process involved where they have to be on this MERS registry. They have to have an e-vault. It's like tamper sealed. You know, make sure that uh, you know you just didn't throw in PDF that's you know pretend note. And um, so th- there's just there's a lot involved that I think it sounds easier to solve than historically it's been, but I think it's definitely achievable. So I hope we get there soon. You put it on the blockchain, you e-sign it, and you mm-hmm. go home in like 14 minutes. And buy Bitcoin. And then, well, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm saying you could That's also, you could you could write a, a loan that doesn't exist with paper too. You know, I had a guy one time, uh, we were, this is a dumb story, but we were, uh, I was driving a rental car in Las Vegas and he pulled me over because I didn't look like I could afford the rental car. It was like a, yeah, like a, it was on Toro or whatever. So I just bought this really expensive car because I was there for a week. He pulls me over very clearly because I, my, it was not, I was not speeding anything. I asked him and he was like, I mean, I have like tattoos and I'm wearing a Cavs jersey. And uh, he has to see my license and registration. No, just my proof of insurance. And so I show him on my phone because it's, this was 2017 maybe. And he was like, well, um, we need a paper copy. And I was like, uh, I don't have a paper copy because I have it on my phone. And he was like, well, you could have, you could have uh, faked that. And I was like, like, I couldn't have faked it and printed it out. Right. And he literally, I watched him be like, ah, oh, damn it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like you're, that was so stupid. And he was like, all right, whatever. Just next time have a piece of paper. I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. See ya. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was just like his like reasoning was like, oh, you could have faked that. And I was just like, is that really why, you know, is that really why this is like you couldn't print out the fake, but anyways. 
Hey everybody, Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus, and we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, grows a highly adaptive workforce, and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. So in 2020, in terms of transactions, just to understand like the magnitude, how many transactions did you guys do? Oh gosh, that's a loaded question. I'm trying to remember the number. Um, I can tell you that offhand, you know, from memory, the most we've ever done in a month between signature, which we call full service, that would be where companies are sending the orders and we have a team that sort of oversees it. And then Sync, which is our platform combined, um, you know, north of 60,000 transactions in a month is is kind of the, the peak of where we've been. Mm. So uh, annualize that and, you know, maybe half million, you know, something like that in that neighborhood, probably. And so what's what's the goal look like moving forward? Because it sounds like you're still kind of involved, even though you recently made an exit. So it sounds like you're still actively involved in the business or no? I am. Yeah. So I'm, I'm an employee of Stuart Title. And um, I think, you know, what what we're really focused on now and what I've really appreciated and I think that Stuart brought to the table was this back office support. So, I mean, they're great people uh, based in Houston and we have their support for accounts receivable, accounts payable, human resources, things that just really I was doing. And they take a lot of time and energy and and focus away. And so having that support's been huge. I'm really tasked with, you know, new business, strategic, um, and then, and really kind of laser focused on this digital closing question. So um, Stuart has been very active in kind of the M&A space and they own a platform called NotaryCam that is a remote online notary platform. And so, um, you know, we have some irons in the fire there and among others, you know, in the industry. And so I think, you know, really kind of just laser focused on how do we, how do we take these combined offerings and, and bring value to our industry and our clients? It makes a lot of sense. And so you'll, you'll continue to grow in terms of your next steps and where you want to go. You know, do you, have you thought about three to five years down the road where you, where you see yourself? You know, right now it's tough. It's only been, you know, six months. Mm-hmm. And, um, I would say that I'm an entrepreneurial guy. I, definitely constantly have ideas and, you know, creative thoughts and things like that. Um, so, you know, I definitely think there's a path down the line where I could say, I want to do something entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the cool thing is I'm in a position now where, you know, I'm within the framework of a bigger company, but I'm still living that entrepreneurial path and I'm not, my boss is awesome and not just a plug if she listens, she really is great. And someone that I knew prior to even, you know, kind of working with Stuart and going through the acquisition, um, but there's not a lot of micromanagement. You know, they kind of let us do our thing and run our business and make some decisions. And, you know, we got to justify things maybe a little more than when I was in charge and would say, hey, let's do it, you know, moving on. Um, there's an ROI component and there's things that I understand that are important to the business. But by and large, it's, hey, if this is going to help your business, do it. And so we've been empowered to do that. And, you know, that makes it a lot easier for me to see a future where I'm saying, yeah, this, you know, this works and we're growing and we're entrepreneurial and we're still creative. So, you know, I... I don't know. I haven't had enough time, I guess, to think about, you know, where, where I want to be in three to five years, you know, yeah. for now, for now I'm you know living in the present and happy with, with what I'm doing. 
That seems like a good plan. And uh, I think that's a good place to pivot towards our last question of the show. Unless, Josh, Tim, you guys got anything else? No, dude, I'm just waiting for this to end because you are messing everything up. <laughs> you can't say that. They don't know that. They don't know. Andy cut all those screw-ups up. So you well, guys... they're going to know now. No, no, no. Andy's going to cut all Hey, this. bring us home San Diego style. Yeah, we'll do it. So <laughs> <laughs> the last question of our show, Mark, is uh, centered around the theme here on Conquer in Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you can apply that on a personal level and then on a professional level um, in different ways. And, you know, for me, I would say when I look at the personal side of things, you know, to me, that's a that's a mentality of constant growth to live uncomfortable um, or lived uncomfortably. And, you know, so it's important, I think, you know, I'll, I'll speak for myself and for others that may be listening. You know, I work through some anxiety, you know, I have ADHD and I believe that, you know, living uncomfortably, you know, not only involves being vulnerable, being willing to say, yeah, you know, I'm working through these things and especially with mental health. And I think the stigma that goes with that and, and it's going away. And I think that's really good. But choosing, I think, a path like when I think of my anxiety, choosing a path that is uncomfortable is how I grow. And so on a personal level, I think that's really important to consistently be looking at ways to grow you know, we all have our stuff, right? So, I mean, you know, okay, I'm working through this. Other people have, you know, other things that they work through. And I think from the personal perspective, if you maintain the attitude that living uncomfortably is something that you're willing to do, you're going to get better, you're going to grow. From the professional side of things, you know, I think it's a similar mentality in the sense that throughout our entire process, you know, there were milestones and things that happened, you know, during the process of growing the business and through the acquisition process. And, things that make you uncomfortable. And I remember one of the biggest things that I think about from a professional sense uh, that, that made a big difference in our business is we had this RFP and this was in like 2013, uh, big, you know, publicly traded company. And, and we get this thing and we're like, what, we're not doing half this stuff. How in the world? Like we, you know, the security, the compliance, this, that, the other, man, we're wasting our time. What are we doing? And you know, obviously pretty uncomfortable. And, you know, then we had an uncomfortable conversation to say, well, you know, we're looking at this and saying, wow, that's a big challenge, but it's also an opportunity because if we're looking at it this way, everybody in our space that's doing what we're doing is probably looking at it this way. So we ended up, you know, cleaning up our act, doing the things we needed to do to really earn that business and achieve and, and commit and live up to that RFP, won that business. And then that one decision has led us down a path where, you know, the CEO of that company spun off and went to work for, you know, another big company. And then they were connected to an employee that went to another company. So I can look back today, that one decision that was uncomfortable at the time allowed us to, I mean, I would say 25 to 40% of our business was that one decision and we wouldn't have them today. So it was hard to make that decision. It was uncomfortable, but you know, for me, it is, super important in business to be willing to be uncomfortable to grow. What's an RFP request for proposal? So they were looking for a vendor and we were looking for business. There you go. And uh, Mark, that's a great answer. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story and talking about signature closers. So thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, everybody out there listening, if you enjoyed that interview, you want to hear more just like it, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.